Play ball. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the SIS Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Research Analyst for Sports Info Solutions. Our company develops analytics and provides them to MLB teams, media, and fantasy baseball outlets. We'll give you a peek into our world, talk to important people around baseball about analytics storylines, and try to make the numbers fun and interesting. On today's show, we'll be joined by San Diego Padres catcher Austin Hedges, the best pitch framer in the game. We've talked infield defense with Nick Ahmed and Brian Hayes and outfield defense with Kevin Pillar. Now we'll talk catching with Austin Hedges. But first, let's start the show with a segment that we like to call Batter Up! Austin Hedges isn't the only player having an outstanding defensive season for a sub-500 team. Let's give some of them their props. We've previously saluted Hedges' teammate, outfielder Hunter Renfro, who joins Hedges in the 20-run save club. He's been very good in both right field and left field. Staying in the NL West, you likely don't need to be reminded about Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado, but we will anyway. Story should give Nick Ahmed and Javier Baez a run for both the Fielding Bible Award and an NL Gold Glove. Arenado remains the standard for National League third baseman. Behind the plate, Buster Posey of the Giants may have lost something with the bat, but he's still as good as ever with the glove. In the AL West, Andrelton Simmons' shortstop for the Angels was hampered by injuries this season, but he too is as good as he's always been. Come all the way over to the other side of the country and look to the Marlins, where there aren't many highlights, but for the defense of Brian Anderson and Miguel Rojas. Anderson has been good at third base and right field, Rojas the shortstop. Danny Jansen has been a good young catcher in Toronto. In the Central Divisions, shout-outs to Jose Iglesias, Jacob Stallings, and Alberto Mondesi for their work this season. Each of these players is bringing an important component to the game. Good defensive play deserves to be recognized. One of the things we've tried to do on this podcast is make sure each of these players gets his due. In the 2019 season, there has been no catcher better at pitch framing than Austin Hedges of the San Diego Padres, and he joins us now on our podcast. Uh, Austin, I think the first thing I would want to ask you is, how much of a point of pride are your pitch framing numbers and the fact that the Padres have a winning record when you catch? Yeah, I mean, uh, pitch framing is the number one thing, I think, uh, important for a catcher, other than, um, obviously, the relationship you have with your pitchers and the game you're calling. But physically, receiving is number one because it's the thing that happens the most. I mean, you get you got 150-plus opportunities a night to, to impact the game uh, with the way that you receive the ball and present it, not only for the umpire, but for your pitcher, too. You know, I think, uh, you know, obviously, you you're trying to avoid balls and get strikes, but at the same time, the, the better you present the ball to your pitcher as well, He's got more confidence that, you know, some of those pitches that might not have been as, as executed now look a little bit better. So um, it's definitely something I take a lot of pride in. We track these stats back to the minor leagues, and in the minors you were blowing away the, the field as well. I was reading an article uh, on Yahoo Sports about uh, when you first learned and when you first realized that you were good at uh, pitch framing. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been something that is, uh, uh, I've been working on for, for a lot longer than pro ball. I was lucky enough to have a... Uh, a high school coach and a catching coach, um, even before high school, actually, a guy named Brett Kay that uh, just just taught me the the I guess just the subtleties of of presenting the baseball the right way, and it all just started from him with teaching me how to get my thumb underneath the baseball because so many young catchers are afraid of getting thumbed, and um, it's a real thing. Guys wear thumb guards for a reason. You can break your thumb from from a nasty pitch, and um, he just kind of taught me the the what, what we believe is the right way to do it, and uh, I think from there I just I just trained. 
uh, my body and my mind to, you know, just if anything, get my thumb underneath the baseball and catch the ball the right way uh, more often than not. And then um, once I got into pro ball, the, you know, people started talking about receiving and they actually started coming up with, with metrics and numbers for, um, you know, if guys are good or not at it. Um, and lucky enough for me, I, I think I had a, a little bit of a head start and, uh, it was, it allowed me to at least have a foundation to move, to move, to build upon. And, um, I just feel like I just kept working on trying to just, you know, master the craft and it's, it's, it's an art that'll, that'll never be mastered. And I mean, I'm working on things every single day trying to get better, but, um, like I said, I was lucky enough, I think before pro ball to have that head start. What's an example of a drill that you do to try and make sure that you're, that you're going right with it? Uh, drill that I, that's, that's big for me. Uh, we do it, we do it a lot more in spring training, um, just cause you have more time to really rep it out. But I basically start with my glove on the ground, my glove, basically if I'm straddling home plate, my glove will just be on home plate and I'll have, um, whoever will, will feed a pitching machine with some velocity, um, or a breaking ball if you want to work on it. And you got to keep your glove on the ground until you catch the ball. It just makes you catch the bottom part of the ball. If your glove is too high in the air, you're going to catch the top half and, you're not you're not going to present the ball the right way. So when we have our glove on the ground, you just wait for the ball to get to you, and you only move your glove up to to receive the baseball. And um, it just it I think it just helps you present the low pitch, which is definitely the hardest pitch to catch, and uh, the only one where there's uh, room for interpretation from the umpire to decide if that's a pitch that that pitch is a ball or a strike. Obviously, with the corners, you got the plate, so the plate tells you if it's inside or out. But um, I mean, there's no there's I think the the low pitch is is the pitch that's most up for interpretation. That's funny that you mentioned uh, that specific thing with tapping the plate and keeping your glove down on the plate because I was watching some video of you yesterday uh, watching you uh, pitch catch Craig Stammen and his, uh, I guess, his kind of his sinker and the challenge of catching that. And it seemed like you're trying to catch the ball almost on the way uh, with your glove on the way up. Is that is that the way you have to catch him? Yeah, exactly. I think uh, especially with a sinker baller like Craig, he's got so much movement, but really anybody, I'm just, I'm trying to catch any of the low pitches on the way up. Uh, it's just catching the bottom part of the ball. You don't necessarily want to catch the ball and move it. It just wants to be one nice, gradual, um, one fluid motion. Um, and as long as my thumb's underneath the baseball and I'm catching that bottom half of the ball, um, I know that I'm going to you know, at least not box it and move the pitch out of the zone. With uh, Chris Paddock, I want to ask you two questions about him and, and trying to catch him. His fastball called strike rate uh, this season is among the best in baseball, and I presume that that's partly due to your work. Uh, but also I think it's interesting uh, dealing with umpires and umpires uh, dealing with rookie pitchers and establishing what, uh, what the strike zone is for a rookie pitcher. Uh, what's your take, A, on trying to frame Chris, and B, on, uh, I guess – working with an umpire over the course of a game to make sure that you're getting the calls for your guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, Chris is so much fun to work with because he has so much passion, so much energy, and obviously he's got electric stuff, but uh, I mean, he's pitching for us tonight. And I mean, I couldn't be more excited to catch him just because he brings that fire and it's fun to be able to pump a guy up because, you know, you got so many different pitchers on your staff that some guys need to be calmed down. Some guys need to be pumped up. Everybody's, you know, the psychology of working with a pitcher is different for every guy. And Chris is one of the most fun ones because it doesn't matter what I say or do. If I'm pumping that guy up, he's getting locked in. He's going to go out there and ready to execute pitches. And it's fun to catch him because uh, with, with, how, with the command he has with his fastball, I just know everything's going to be around my glove. And it's a lot easier to catch a guy that you know is going to be within inches of your glove every time. And you can do a lot more fun things back there and ideally get, get some more strikes just because how much he's around the zone. Um, but B, I guess to answer your question with the umpires, I mean, it's the beauty, the beauty of having umpires that, and one of the, and I mean, one of the main points I'd like to make with that is how, how awful it would be for baseball if they ever went to the robot system because it would take away 
um, you know, such a great part of this game's pastime, which is the umpires. I mean, they, they're, they're every bit as much uh, a part of the game as the players. Okay. I mean, with, without the umpires, we don't have a game and the relationship that I have with them, you know, with almost all of them is a really good relationship. And it's just someone that you can work back there because the feel of the game is something that, that a robot will never have. And umpires have feel for the game, especially the good ones. And, you know, a big part of that is, is, is the way I communicate with him, just knowing, Hey, where do you got that pitch? Where is, and just knowing where his zone is for that day, if it, uh, or what, what he's seeing, uh, the way I communicate with him can definitely, um, at least, at least get us on the same page so we can work together. Um, and it's something I definitely look forward to on a daily basis, going back there and working with these guys. Cause I mean, they're working as hard, if not harder than I am, because they got to be locked in every single pitch. Cause the last thing they want to do is impact the game in a negative way. Um, you know, because of them, um, and the guys that are back there, they've been doing it for so many years. Um, I have so much respect for them. And, um, I think it would, um, I mean, it's, it's obviously a different part of this question, but I think it would just be, it would be awful <laughs> for the game to, to do robot umpires. And, um, I just, I, and, and like I was saying, I, I take so much pride in the relationship I have with them and I hope to have a, a, a long career, uh, with them, working with them on a daily basis. How do you, how much do you know going into a game about the guy that's behind the plate? Like if Bill Miller's behind the plate versus someone like a Pat Hoberg, those are two very different strike zones. Yeah, we're aware there's, there's, there's metrics for all of that. We, we, I mean, just being a catcher, we, I, I get every bit of information thrown at me every single day and that's the way I like it. I like to take all the mass amount of information and then filter it down to what I can control and what I can use to go in and try to execute a game plan with my pitcher, trying to work with the umpire and, uh, you know, ultimately just trying to win a baseball game. So um, I'm definitely a little bit aware of it, um, what they're going to be doing, but it doesn't necessarily impact uh, the game. I'm going to be calling, but it's definitely nice to know what, uh, what type of zone we're working with that day. We've been having a discussion at work recently. You might be able to help us on this. Is pitch framing independent of everything else? Meaning you've got pitch blocking, you've got base stealing to, to concern yourself with. Can a good pitch framer be a good blocker? There's some talk that maybe that's not the case, that, that it's very challenging for a lot of guys to be, to be good at both. What's your take on that? It is independent, but at the same time, it's about prioritizing. With nobody on, your priority is to receive the baseball. I don't care if I miss baseballs when they go back to the backstop with nobody on, if I'm trying to work, work as hard as I can to receive the pitch the right way. But when guys get on base, the number one priority is keeping the ball in front. Receiving is now second priority and number one priority. Um, I mean, honestly, unless you're calling a fastball, because we don't, you only, you accidentally block fastballs, usually you're just going to pick them. But if I'm calling an off-speed pitch, my number one priority is to block that ball. The block, number one priority is to not let that ball get away from me and let, let runners advance. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just free bases. As a, from an offensive standpoint, while you're trying to steal bases, read balls in the dirt, move guys over, the more, you know, more opportunities you have with guys on second base, third base, the more opportunities you're going to have to score runs. And that's when it comes down to it, whoever scores more runs wins the game, as we know. And so if I'm preventing guys from getting to scoring position from my blocking, then I'm doing my job with guys on base. So it is definitely different. But like I said, with, nobody on, with, with guys on base, the number one priority is blocking at that point. And throwing is, all, is always last. Throwing is, in general, it's usually more up to the pitcher. If I got a pitcher that can hold guys on and is quick to home, nobody's going to even try and steal. So the whole throwing part is how accurate can I be, how clean can my transfer be, but that's definitely the bottom of the totem pole of priorities as a catcher. If, I, if I'm an outstanding blocker, receiver, I can call a good game, I can work with my pitchers, but all I can do is throw a, you know, kind of a weak throw to second accurately, then I would still consider myself one of, if not the best catcher in the game defensively, 
because if I'm elite at the other part, at the other uh, aspects. Two, two quick questions to close out with Austin Hedges here, catcher for the San Diego Padres. Is there someone who has a, a pitch framing skill that really impresses you, whether it be a current player or a former catcher? There's quite a few of them. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Jeff Mathis. I think he does an outstanding job behind the plate at every aspect. Um, big fan of the way Austin Barnes catches the ball. Um, I like Tyler Flowers, JT Rail Muto. Um, there's so many guys that I, I, I like the way they do it just because it's, it's, it's different. Everybody does similar things and usually more similar when I believe you're doing it the right way, but they're all so unique and so athletic in their own ways. Uh, but those are some of the guys that I watch and I even take some of their, uh, some of the things that I'm seeing from them and trying to apply them to my game. What's an example of that? I mean, like a, a good example would be like, uh, the, the, they're kind of two extremes. Like Tyler Flowers has a lot of movement going on, but he does such a good job at catching the bottom part of the ball. And then you got a guy like Austin Barnes, who's so quiet and it's so impressive how he can receive the ball so well with such little movement. And I'm like, okay, if I can be a combo of both those guys, I feel like then I would be, you know, as elite as I can get. All right. Last question for Austin Hedges. How does a pitch framer who's at your level get better? I think, uh, I think I just answered the last question pretty much. It's, it, it's watching, it's learning. It's never being satisfied with anything. I'm always trying to get better. I'm, I'm watching, you know, we're playing the, the Brewers right now. I'm going to watch Yasmani Grandal, another one of the best receivers in the game. I watch him receive all the pitches. Uh, you know, when we, when we play the Dodgers, if Austin's catching, I'm going to watch him. You know, Atlanta, I'm going to watch Tyler catch. Like, I'm just always watching. I'm so, I mean, I'm, I'm just so passionate about the position of catcher that when I'm watching the game, I can't help myself but watch these guys back there and see what I think they're doing right and see what I think they're doing wrong. And um, both right and wrong are both going to teach you something. Um, and as, as long as I'm learning on a, on a, on a daily basis, um, just from watching the best in the world do their thing, then it's just going to keep me getting better. You sound like a future coach someday. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. This, this, this one of the, one of the most important parts about this game is, is, uh, you know, giving back to what you, what you were taught. And I've been taught and had so many great mentors in this game that have, that have helped me just at least have a job in the big leagues, my lifelong dream. And, um, I would definitely love at, at some point in my career to be able to give back and, teach some wisdom to, 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 to some younger guys that, you know, could help hopefully one day, um, you know, escalate their career at a higher level. Austin Hedges, thanks for taking the time to join us. Best of luck at award season. Awesome. Thank you very much. Looking for the latest compelling baseball and football research? Head over to sportsinfosolutionsblog.com to learn about the latest things we're writing about. We do in-depth studies, leaderboards, and deep dives on the most important players, teams, and trends. Both full-timers and video scouts contribute material to the blog, and feedback is appreciated. If you have any comments or questions, you may contact the author of the post or email us at info at baseballinfosolutions.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at sportsinfo underscore SIS as well. That's sportsinfosolutionsblog.com. It's time for Under Review, our segment where we look at the research we've done and articles we've written. I'm joined by my colleague, Andrew Kine, and let's first talk about the Austin Hedges interview. We were both uh, very pleased with uh, how that turned out. Uh, your thoughts on some of the things that Hedges had to say? Yeah, so the first thing I'll say is that I was maybe 30 seconds into listening to this interview and just hearing how good of a speaker he was and thinking about the fact that he's a catcher and a lot of catchers end up becoming coaches or managers down the line. I was thinking, wow, this guy's going to be a coach someday. And so I listened to the rest of the interview. And sure enough, at the very end, you plugged it and you asked him and, and he seemed he seemed pretty receptive. So maybe that's something uh, that we'll see one day. But I think, you know, one thing obviously that jumped out was 
uh, his thoughts on the robot umpires and how against it he was, which of course is is a pretty you know reasonable stance for someone like him given his skill set and what he provides and, and especially what he provides with pitch framing. Um, I liked how you actually asked him about drills that he does, and he talked about the glove drill. He also talked about um, ways he can improve by watching other catchers, and I thought that was something that, from our perspective, maybe we don't hear so much from from players, so I thought that was really unique. Uh, and then I also really liked how he talked about uh, his approach with runners on base and how he basically has to prioritize his job. Uh, when there's no one on base, he's solely focused on framing. He doesn't care if the ball goes to the backstop, whereas if as soon as you know, as soon as the runner goes on base, he has to then focus on blocking, keeping the ball in front of him. Uh, so I was, I was really happy to hear how that interview turned out, and, and I thought he was really good. The independence thing was definitely a, a good topic. He's the crusader against robot umps, I think, in baseball right now. And if he was, if he was more of a national, nationally visible figure, I think you would have heard more about this. But in a couple of interviews, he has uh, vigorously uh, supported the umpires, and it's interesting. You don't typically run into players who like umpires. Catchers do, because it's part of the job. Let's run through the leaders in strike zone run save, just to show you the difference between Hedges and everybody else. Austin Hedges leads the majors with 17 strike zone runs saved. No one else has more than 10. Roberto Perez of the Indians ranks second with 10 strike zone runs saved. Basically, what that means is Hedges is getting extra strikes for his pitchers and doing it in high volume. And we think that the, that the primary cause for that is that low pitch where he's coming up, as he talked about, uh, to snatch it and bring it into the strike zone as opposed to bringing it out of the strike zone. It's something that works and it's something that puts him at a different level from everybody else. I mentioned Perez second. When you look at things on a per-pitch basis, Max Stassi of the Astros, this is the second year in a row, he's been really highly regarded. He's second. Then Tyler Flowers, the Braves catcher who Hedges mentioned, who Hedges said he really likes. Kevin Ploiecki, formerly of the Mets, now of the Indians, and the backup to Roberto Perez, coincidentally. And then Buster Posey uh, on a per-pitch basis. Those are your top five. Good to see Posey in the top five. This is something that he was great at uh, throughout his career. Pitch framing still makes an impact. It might not necessarily be as much as you would think uh, these days as it did five years ago, but it's still a very important skill. We track it at Sports Info Solutions. If you get a chance, check out the article Joe Rosales did that was a presentation at the Sloan Conference, The Value of a Called Strike. That was by Joe Rosales and Scott Spratt. You Google it, it comes right up. Uh, highly recommend that. That explains our methodology. While we're talking leaderboards, let's run through a few, and I, I'm going to uh, take the lead on this, kind of put a bow on a few of them for uh, season-ending numbers as we approach the end of the season. Uh, we chart home run robberies. We're the only place that uh, charts that. There is a tie for the top spot. Lorenzo Cain had a, a couple early in the season. He wound up with four for the year so far, a couple, week and a half left. Josh Reddick caught him uh, with a little bit of a late surge. He's also got four. Many players have two. At the time that we're taping, I should mention, Pete Alonso has 48 home runs. He's been robbed of two. So he could have had 50 this year, if not for those two home run robberies. Hard hit rates, another thing that we track, and we do it a little bit differently than the uh, StatCast folks. We base it on overall velocity, where the balls hit, what kind of batted ball it was, and I'll run through the top 10. Justin Turner, your leader, 41% of his at-bats end in a hard hit ball. And then you basically got the NL MVP race. Bellinger second, Yelich third, 
Rendon fourth, Howie Kendrick, who's had a fantastic year. He's fifth. Tommy Lestella sixth. Uh, if you lower the qualifier enough, I had it at 250 uh, at-bats. Alex Bregman, seven. Alex Verdugo, eight. Freddie Freeman, nine. And Carson Kelly, surprise name, at number 10, the catcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Those are the players who have hit the ball hard the most consistently this season. Pitchers who have limited hard contact, and I'll give you the top six. Garrett Cole, not a surprise. He's first. Stephen Strasburg of the National second. I think some people might be surprised by the guy who's third, You Darvish of the Cubs. All the strikeouts, I think, having something to do with that. Jacob deGrom, four. Lucas Jolito, the most improved pitcher in baseball. He's fifth. And Eduardo Rod- Rodriguez, sixth. I wanted to make sure to mention him. Interestingly, Chris Sale, ninth. We wrote in The Athletic about how Sale was one of the unluckiest pitchers in baseball this season. Those are your 2019 leaderboards. Looking at what we've written, a couple of things recently. I got stuff for the athletic on lucky, lucky pitchers. By the time you listen to this, lucky uh, hitters probably going to be up too. Lucky and unlucky hitters. Uh, we've also written pieces for the Sports Info Solutions blog on how Justin Verlander got a bad bip just that low. 208, I believe it is, uh, heading into his. Um, he's got a couple of starts left. Threatening 200, which hasn't been done in forever. How do you get a BABIP that low as a pitcher? Defense has to be really good, and the Astros have done that behind him. Speaking of Astros, former Astro, Dallas Keuchel, half the season he's pitched, he is the leader among pitchers in defensive runs saved, so we did a run-through on how he was able to uh, put that up. Let's go to listener mail. All right, let's start. Uh, Andrew's going to handle the answers to these. This one from Alan Linton. Are pitchers getting faster at making throws to first base? Yeah, so we do actually track uh, pickoff times here at SIS, and the differences are small, but we can report that uh, if you look at averages, if you look at 10th percentile, meaning the most high effort throws to first, they are getting a little bit faster over the past couple of years, so that's something to uh, keep an eye on. Alan, thanks for the question. And we had a second question to this one about uh, Jacob DeGrom from uh, Joe Madison on Twitter. Yeah, so the question was whether or not we could uh, quantify or at least contextualize how much the Mets defense makes DeGrom's run prevention that much more impressive. And Mark actually wrote about this on The Athletic last week when he mentioned his lucky and unlucky pitchers article just a moment ago. And DeGrom actually falls in that unlucky category because the Mets defense has recorded minus nine DRS from what we call the range and positioning component uh, of defensive run saved with DeGrom on the mound. And there's a handful of guys that are tied at minus nine, but that's among the worst rates in the league. The worst rate is actually uh, Seattle's defense behind Marco Gonzalez at minus 15. Uh, but yeah, DeGrom minus nine. So the Mets have cost him, which does make his run prevention all that more impressive. Give him the Cy Young, he said. All right, one, one last topic here. Uh, we did this with Alex Vigerman last episode. We do it with Andrew now. Andrew got to work as an intern for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and we wanted to get some job hunting perspective from him, some uh, working in baseball perspective from him as well. Uh, I guess the, the question I would just ask you is what, what tips do you have for people with regards to uh, pursuing jobs? Yeah, so I thought uh, the conversation that you had with Alex on the last episode was really good, and I'll probably end up reiterating some of those points. But uh, I would say that the big thing, which may seem very obvious, but if you see an internship posted online and you, if you have any bit of interest in it, I would encourage you to apply. Even if you think the odds of getting it aren't that great, 
go for it. Give yourself a chance. And I can remember uh, I was hesitant when I first saw the R&D internship for this company uh, that I got when I was a freshman in college. And, you know, I thought I was too young. I didn't have enough experience. But, you know, looking back, if I hadn't applied for it, I wouldn't have gotten the job. I wouldn't have gotten the Pirates internship. I wouldn't have been able to come back here full time after I graduated. So uh, you never know how those dots are going to connect for you. So you just have to give yourself a chance. And even if you don't get the internship, those processes can still be really good learning experiences. And, you know, teams, what they sometimes do is they'll give you a questionnaire that is basically like a problem set that uh, demonstrates how you think about baseball and how you can approach problems. So you can learn a lot from those. I filled out a bunch of those when I was in college. And uh, even if they didn't lead to anything, they were still really good challenges for me. And they kind of show you what skill sets teams are looking for. And beyond that, like if you get a phone interview, that's great too, especially for uh, younger people or students who might not have that much experience interviewing. It's really good to be able to get in the mix and, and see what teams are asking and looking for. Um, I can think of a few of mine that probably didn't go so well. And, and I was able to you know, look back and, and figure out why I wasn't so prepared or why I wasn't ready for certain questions and be able to be better for uh, the next one. So even just getting into those situations and making those connections, I know Alex mentioned on the last episode that even though he, you know, he'd interviewed uh, here at SIS and even though he didn't get it, that was actually how he ended up getting the Red Sox internship because he made a good impression here and they recommended him to uh, the Red Sox. So that that's obviously probably a pretty unique thing, but it's a good way to know people in the industry. So even if it seems like obvious advice, just give yourself a chance and apply for it. What was the hardest question you got asked during the interview process? Yeah, I mean, probably I can remember some pretty difficult, like more mathematical questions that I just wasn't really prepared for. And, you know, it was fair. Like it was a fair thing to try to gauge my knowledge of math and how I'd approach things maybe from like a more physics perspective of, you know, ball tracking or, or how I would track, you know, certain things on the field that I just didn't really know, but that's something where it allows you to go back after the fact and sit down and try to learn some of those things and, and be better for, for the next interview. Andrew Kine, thank you. I appreciate the uh, tips. Hope people uh, like them as well. If you have any questions for us, you can send them to our Twitter, sportsinfo underscore SIS. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to break. We'll come back with a ridiculous number of the day in just a moment. Hi, I'm Corey March of Sports Info Solutions, and I'm here to tell you about SISBets.com. SISBets.com is an advanced prop betting information tool powered by Sports Info Solutions. Now you can leverage our proven projections model to find value against the odds. You're never more than a few clicks away from knowing which pitcher may surpass his strikeout prop or whether your favorite running back projects to go over his rushing yards total. Just choose the type of bet, the player, and enter the money line to see the SIS Bets recommendation. That's SISBets.com. It's time for the ridiculous numbers of the day. Ridiculous numbers of the day. Andrew's got his as a stat, and he shall go first. Yeah, so I wanted to plug Mark's article once again about lucky and unlucky pitchers. I just mentioned how Seattle's defense was minus 15 DRS behind Marco Gonzalez, and that was the worst. I also wanted to mention the best. That's the Cardinals defense plus 23 DRS range and positioning behind Dakota Hudson. And I thought that was super interesting because if you look at the leaderboards of ERA and FIP differential, Hudson's is actually by far the largest 
among qualified pitchers. He's at a 335 ERA, but his FIP is 499. Pretty huge difference, but the Cardinals defense has been really good behind him, and I thought that was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, he's an outstanding ground ball getter, and the uh, infield defense all the way across uh, for the Cardinals has been very good. So ridiculous number. I want to just tell you the travails of going through these. I was excited by this, and it was going to be my question because uh, it was funny. Uh, in terms of unluckiness, I was looking up yesterday lowest BABIP uh, for hitters on line drives. And amazingly, Chris Davis with a K was first. He had the lowest. And Chris Davis of the Orioles was second. Now, in the last 24 hours, unfortunately, Derek Dietrich got in the way. So it spoiled the question uh, that I wanted to ask. So I will ask it. Uh, I will ask this instead. This isn't so ridiculous as it's a leaderboard that I thought was worth mentioning. Um, there's a leader, positional leader in defensive run saved, who leads the majors in bunt hits. Can you name that player? That seems, I think the question itself is pretty ridiculous because I'm not sure I even have a good idea. Um, so I would imagine it's a faster player. Is he an outfielder? He's not an outfielder. Mark is shaking his head. I'm going to guess, and I don't even know if he's the leader in DRS, but since we just talked about the Cardinals, I'm going to mention Colton Wong. Ding, 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 ding. Well done. Colton Wong is the leader in defensive runs saved with 15 at second base at the time that we do this. Uh, he's also the leader in bunt hits this season with 11. And actually, a good segue here to close the show, we will actually, I wanted to pick an unsung player for the season. Uh, since our next show probably won't be, we're not sure when it's going to be, but it'll be in a couple of weeks. Uh, it might not hit on the end of the regular season. Uh, so I wanted to pick an unsung player for the season. Who you got? Yeah, so I was watching the A's a little bit last night, and it got me thinking that Matt Olson is pretty underrated. He his 35th home run, a big home run for the A's last night. He has a 140 WRC+, plus, uh, which is impressive given that he actually missed the first month plus of the season with that hamate injury, which typically saps the power out of players who come back from that. But he's been really good. Uh, but what I really wanted to plug was his defense, and he actually leads – all first baseman in DRS at plus 10, and he led the league last year at first base as well. So when you think about Oakland and their defense, you probably think of Matt Chapman on the other side of the field at third base, and rightfully so. Uh, but Matt Olson also deserves a lot of credit as Oakland is now above 90 wins on the season and heading towards the postseason. I'm going to go against the defensive grain just because I was looking for uh, well, Colton Wong's a good one, but Colton Wong's almost had too good of a year to be underappreciated uh, on the offensive side. He's been terrific. So we're going to take defense and put it out of the way. I mentioned before Tommy Listella, sixth in the majors in hard hit rate this season, and combines that with a miss rate on his swings of only 10%. 10% of his swings missed this season. That was in the top five, six as well uh, for guys that had that many at-bats. Really a shame that he got hurt because uh, it would have been cool to have seen just as a baseball statistical, statistical experiment where his numbers uh, would have ended up because he was someone who completely uh, and totally came out of nowhere. And we have come out of nowhere to do 13 podcast episodes, and that wraps up episode number 13. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast today. I want to thank Austin Hedges, our guest catcher from the San Diego Padres, and our producer, Justin Stein. For Andrew Kine, I'm Mark Simon. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. 
If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. 